HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Kiko Katayama, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Itan Elkan, who is the co-owner of Ichimura, a 10-seat omakase-only sushi bar in New York City, which opened in January 2017. Sushi is extremely popular in New York City, and you can see more authentic sushi restaurant openings in recent years, in addition to casual places that serve a creative loss. So Ichimura is one step ahead since it serves traditional sushi made with aged raw fish, which is getting attention in Japan as well. So today we'll talk about Itan's unique experience Japanese food since 1990s, how he ended up opening a sushi restaurant in New York City, what is aged sushi, what, why it tastes great, and much, much more. But quickly, we, before we start, Japan Needs is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe to Japan Needs. Also, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please listen, let us know. And you can email us, email us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatema.com. 
Now let's start a conversation with Idan Eikon. Hello, Idan. Welcome to Japan Eats. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. So, um, so first of all,、um, tell us about your background. So, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? Okay. So,、um, I was actually born in Mexico.、Mm. Uh, uh, I'm not originally Mexican, but my father used to work for IBM.、Mm. So,、um, I、uh, was born in Mexico. Um, and then I grew up for six years in Brazil.、Wow. And then we moved to the States.、Um, but we were always pretty nomadic.、Mm. Um, so growing up, I ate、um, a mix of different cuisines.、Mm. I, had, I was exposed to、um, South American food, Latin food,、right. um, as well as Middle Eastern and European food.、Mm. Those were my early years. Wow, it's amazing, diversity. Yes. Right, so, and.、Uh, I heard that you studied Japanese history, culture, and economics at college. So, what intrigued you to Japan in the first place? So, that's a good question. I,、um, I always had a deep respect for the Japanese culture、mm. um, and the way of life、um, and their philosophies.、Um, and so, I also was very intrigued by martial arts at、mm. the time. So,、uh, when, I, when I went to university, I、uh, decided to study.、Mm. Um, I had an economics professor、um, who was actually married to a Japanese woman,、um, and he taught several classes in、uh, Japanese economics as well as culture and history. And I just had an affinity towards it、uh, mm. since I was in college. Actually, probably. My late teen years as well, when I started eating Japanese food in New York.、Mm, wow. That's pretty. That, I think that time it was for expatriates mainly. So it's not like a more sort of like creative Japanese food scene. That's, that's right. Right. Okay. And、uh, I heard that you spent quite a, bit, a lot of time in Japan. Yes, that's correct.、Um, so after college,、um, I、uh, worked abroad in, in Tokyo. I was working with、um, a subsidiary of Marabeni Corporation.、Mm, which is one of the biggest trading companies in Japan. Yes, and、um, it was a、uh, joint venture in the telecommunications business.、Mm, okay, so、uh, what kind of、uh, period did you spend in, in Japan, mainly Tokyo? I'm sorry?、Uh, what kind of period did you stay、oh, in Tokyo? So I was there initially for about 15, 16 months.、Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was traveling back and forth between New York and Tokyo for a good part of 10 years in the 90s and early 2000s.、Mm. So I was probably in Japan a couple of times a year、wow. uh, for extended periods of time.、Mm. Okay. And、uh, I'm curious, how was your dining experience in Japan? So、uh, it was actually quite transformative.、Um, I、uh, quickly realized Japanese culture is so obsessed with doing、um, the best in anything they do.、Mm. <laughs> and, I, yeah, and I also realized the stark contrast to the United States, where kind of you go to a supermarket and you can buy so many things you know, in one. The Japanese way, although you have supermarkets, they're very specialized. You know, you go to different areas,、um, even in restaurants. So you have a particular genre or a type of cuisine,、mm. uh, a Japanese cuisine, and that's all that they do. Like, so if you go to a yakitori shop, they make yakitori,、right. um, which is kind of different than what has you know, happened in food culture in the United States,、mm, although it's changed. Interesting you said it because I think the average number of、uh, restaurants per person compared to New York and And Tokyo, I think Japan has a lot more because 
you, there's no Japanese restaurant. You have to go to yakitori places, there's sushi place, and it's everything's so kind of divided in a specialized way. So I think that's the reason. Yes. Right. Okay. So, but did you find any, you know, like I'm sure you explored everything from, you know, like sushi to casual and home cooking. Right. Yeah. I, you know, when, when I had time off, um, I try to explore uh, uh, so many different, I mean, Tokyo is endless. You know, it's so big. People don't realize how much vastly bigger it is than New York, both mm. just as far as size of people and geography. Um, and so uh, I would go out at nights when I didn't have uh, any work obligations and I would ex- explore and I would go to little places that were just like, you know, husband and wife, you know, just four seats, uh, all types of, um, you know, uh, cuisines within Japanese cuisine, mm. like yakitori, tempura, sushi, izakayas, you know, washoku restaurants. Right. Well, that's, I think the number of mom and pops tend to be more than, I think, other cities because of that specialization. Or, yeah, I think it's less than 10 seats uh, restaurants are not uncommon. Yes, and I, I especially experienced that as well in uh, the Kyushu Island in Fukuoka, where <laughs> I went to certain restaurants in the countryside that were literally just a five-seat counter and one tatami room, and it was just a husband, wife, and one other person working there. Mm, yes. Right. And uh, Fukuoka is, uh, people say, it's really a big food city, too. Yes. I So I did not go to um, Kyushu Island until 2009. Mm. Um, and I was uh, I went there and visited with a friend and another Japanese chef. And uh, it was an incredible experience. Mm. Uh, it is. It's a great, great uh, food town. Okay. Yeah, because it's on the southern island and then like surrounded by beautiful you know, like ocean of fish, basically. Right. Okay. So, um, I have so many questions for you, but, you know, I, I have to stop up talking thinking about the Japanese experience that you had uh, because, um, you know, I mean, I was, also, this is one thing I wanted to ask you. I heard you have close friends at the Tsukiji market in Tokyo. Yes, I do. I, I, I have some. Uh, that I've developed over the years right. and uh, we become very good friends and they visit here and I like to show them the restaurants of uh, New York mm. um, and of course when I go there they take good care of me right well how did it start is this the so um, w- so one of my closest friends actually um, I was introduced by another Japanese chef um, who used to work with him and uh, he came to visit here um, and then we went to uh, Tokyo mm. and we started to dine out. And um, he always jokes and he says, even though you're American, you're really Japanese. Like he says, <laughs> your heart is Japanese, your blood is Japanese, the way you eat is Japanese. So, mm. you know, it's it's interesting um, that I've been told by people that I was probably Japanese in another lifetime, <laughs> for people who believe in that. It does, but, but, you know, what do you think he meant by that? So, um, I don't, you, you, you know, it just, I really connect to the culture and, you know, respect and honor mm. and tradition. Um, and it just, you know, just the way and um, just mannerisms of, you know, politeness and how you deal with situations. Um, and working with Japanese companies um, kind of taught me a lot mm. um, about how Japanese society is formed and, you know, 
their their form of capitalism as opposed to the American way, which is very individualistic mm. traditionally, and Japanese is more of a real collective capitalism. Right. You know, so kind of like the country first. You know,、mm. right. Sometimes too much, but I think、right. this definitely, yeah, the group mentality. Right. Right. Okay, but I think、uh, your childhood, growing up in、uh, Mexico and Brazil, might have been contributed to that cultural respect. Yes, of course. I mean, I I've always.、Um, My my parents always thought that travel was very important,、mm. and、uh, we were always traveling.、Um, and then uh, after uh, college, I traveled continuously for work.、Mm. Um, it was mainly Southeast Asia, but I did extensive travel also、um, in Europe、mm. and North Africa as well. Okay. So, yes. Right. And it sounds like really you have a global palate. <laughs> yes, I I even though I have such a strong affinity, like when I want that. Home base, like rice base, like Japanese food is kind of my home base. But I mean, I appreciate. I mean, there's so many great, rich cultures of food. You know,、mm. France, Spain, Italy, Mexico. Right, and I heard that you dine out、uh, quite a few times a week. Yes,、mm. I、uh, yeah, probably too much, <laughs>、um, and I try to take、uh, a respite one or two days and get out of. The city, and either visit my dad or、mm. another place in Connecticut. I go for a home cooked meal.、Mm. So you usually go out for Japanese restaurants, or how? Yeah, I mean, I probably once or twice a week, but、mm. I, you know, I love good food,、mm. uh, so I I try new places.、Um, I, I I really like to try to go to places where the chef is in the kitchen,、mm. um, and you know, so. I like that boutique kind of feel, where you're almost like eating at home, where the chef is going to the green market, especially this time of year.、Mm. Uh, he picks up produce and、uh, you know gets local deliveries of、uh, you know fish and you know poultry or、mm. whatever he may have on the menu that day. Right. I, th- I think the whole New York City <coughs> dining culture started to be more appreciative of that kind of personal environment. Oh, definitely.、Um, And I'm also,、uh, I'm, you know, I'm American. You know, I've even though I wasn't born here, I'm a naturalized citizen, and I'm very、um, proud to see that you know, we're a young country,、mm. um, but we are also moving towards specialization. So,、right. you know, people are buying their meats now at a butcher and not just going to the supermarket. And obviously, supermarkets now are upgrading、mm. the quality of their meats and realizing that.、Um, Food is a pleasure, and it's not just to live, but you know, it's something that you can do culturally.、Mm. It's a way of bringing people together. Right.、Um, so I think that's very critical, and I've always viewed dining out not just to eat、mm. and the joy of it, but to experience it with friends and meet new people.、Mm. Right. Interesting. That I think if you go to Europe or in Japan, you know, there are specialized supermarkets. Like you said, or some like shops. So I think globally, we're all going back to the kind of traditional style of procuring food globally. Right, I agree. And you know, even now, some of the bigger supermarkets they try to compartmentalize and specialize and get really good products from artisans.、Mm, you know,、right. so you know, you have places like Italy that, even though it's big. It's that market, the、mm. American concept, but using like the European and Southeast Asian aspects of 
which within each area specialize in getting really good artisans mm. uh, products in there. Right. Interesting. Yeah, if we go to Whole Foods, what's conventional? Right? Conventional is supposed to be traditional, but we kind of reversed it. So Exactly. Right. Yes. All right. So um, now um, the you, I uh, heard that you were the top customer at Ichimura at the Brushstroke in Tribeca before you opened Ichimura with uh, Chef Eiji Ichimura. And uh, you dine at Ichimura at Brushstroke over 200 times. So that's amazing. And uh, how did you start working with Chef Ichimura to open uh, his new restaurant, Ichimura? All right. So um, just to clarify, yes, I have eaten in front of um, uh, Chef Ichimura's son over 200 times, but that also included his shop in Midtown. Oh, okay. Yes, oh. but I, I, I dined at the Ichimura Brushstroke over 70 times mm. um, since he was there. Um, so when, when I was living in Japan in the early 90s, um, I uh, went to the Skiji Fish Market. Mm. I would go visit, um, and I was really intrigued by it. And I would see um, many uh, sushi uh, sushi shop owners mm. going and picking their fish for kind of small sushi as. Um, and I had a chance to dine at these restaurants. Mm. Um, and so I said to myself, you know what? It would be really interesting if I can open right. a sushi bar one day. And, uh, it, I mean, it was just kind of like a dream, and I didn't really take it seriously at the time. I mean, you know, I was in my early 20s. Um, and, you, you know, over the years, especially the last, you know, 10 years, I had certain opportunities to open with other chefs, and the timing wasn't right. And so, uh, you know, Ichimura's son and I, you know, we just, it was kind of organic. Mm. You know, it wasn't like this master plan. Um, but just we really kind of understood each other at the time very well. And, you know, we had similar ideas, um, not just for sushi itself, um, mm -hmm. but also for like snacks, um, you know, using all parts of the fish and being able to uh, do something like high end fish snacks, mm -hmm. which is the idea. And also focusing just on sushi, mm, okay. right? And that's the thing is that, you know, you sometimes go to uh, sushi as in the United States and they're trying to do many things. Right. Um, and we just really wanted to specialize in sushi. Of course, mm. we have appetizers, but the main event is the sushi. Right. Yes. And the extreme case is uh, the skiabashi jiro. Like you sit down, you have 20 minutes, just focus on sushi. Right. I right. mean, that's a little too much, but. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, you know, there, you know, for me, that sort of experience is a lot of fun at lunchtime. Mm. So, you, you know, you don't have many hours to eat, you know, even in Europe now, things have changed. And so that's nice. But, you know, if you want to drink, mm. you know, and have sumami and enjoy, it's a different experience. That's why one of his students... Uh, Harutaka-san, he opened the place is very different, mm. which is really more about drinking and snacks besides the sushi, and it's a much longer dining mm. experience. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting. It's kind of like the Latin one is more like French or some kind of entertainment element. Of but, course. Yeah. Right. But the way we're talking about the Japanese-style sushi, it's more for... You know, somebody went to the market, got this sushi, and then it's a craftsmanship that you're going to taste. Right. Okay, and uh, so just to, uh, so the, for listeners who don't, who don't know, uh, Chef Ichimura, he has been in the States for like 30 years and making sushi, yes. long time, and uh, the, his uh, 
place in Michan. I forgot the name of the restaurant. It was Ichimura. Ichimura. Well. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, I got to know him since、uh, he was recruited by David Boulay and、uh, opened his place in Brushstroke and he and Michelin and everything. Right. So, Ichimura san is really a revered figure in New York City, Japanese cuisine. Right. Okay. So,、uh, so, you just decided. Let's open a sushi place. Yeah.、Together. So, you know, it didn't, it, it, it didn't obviously happen overnight.、Um, but, you know, we just, it was that feeling. And I, you know, I, obviously I dined at Brushstroke a lot. And, you know, and Chef, you know, thought, and I thought, and I think a lot of people thought it would be nice for him to have his own restaurant、um, with his name on the door. And just、um, being able to have more full control of what was going on in the kitchen.、Mm. Um, Uh, you know, as you know,、uh, Ichimura at Brushstroke was shared with Brushstroke.、Right. So,、um, you know, obviously there were some advantages of it, but it's just a little different because、mm. it's under his own domain. Right. So,、um, so what's the concept of、uh, Ichimura? Like, you know, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's not a strict, very strict Japanese sushi place, but. Right. So,、um, we still have to remember, like, we. We're in New York,、mm. and you know, and also the clientele is a little different.、Mm. Um, it's very international, not that Tokyo isn't.、Um, but so you, you have, a, I think, a wide range of, uh, of、um, palettes. You know,、mm. people like different things. I think traditionally in New York, the sushi rice, the shoddy, Tended to be sweeter、mm. because Americans,、right. again, in general, tended to like sweeter things.、Mm. Um, and I think that over time that's changed.、Um, and you're seeing now people are more mobile and they have access, they're visiting Tokyo more. And、mm. so there are more foreigners, including other parts of Southeast Asia, people visiting、uh, restaurants and understanding like authentic flavors of sushi. And、mm. of course, In Japan, sushi has changed too. In Tokyo, you have the Tokyo style.、Um, you know, Edoma style really doesn't exist anymore, right? Because people are buying fish or using fish outside of Tokyo Bay,、mm. right? And we have refrigeration. Right. So, but of course, the, the essence of it is Edoma style,、mm. what they're trying to do. Right. The origin of the name of Edoma is usually, I mean, Edoma, it's a facing Tokyo Bay. So the fish from Tokyo Bay was used only for Edoma. And so called nigiri sushi, right? So it's changed. Yes.、Mm. Okay. So,、uh, what kind of menu do you serve at Ichimura? So,、um, we,、uh, we have served a menu where we start out with some、um, zensai,、mm. which are,、uh, for people who don't know, just、uh, small snacks、mm-hmm. um, that we would、uh, bring out.、Um, and then we would have some sashimi,、mm. um, some sumami. Um, and then we would have sashimi, and then we would have like a nigiri course,、mm. um, and then we would have some kind of soup,、um, tamagoyaki,、mm-hmm. and then a dessert. Right. So,、mm, full experience. Yes. Right. And it's only omakase. Yes. Right. Only omakase.、Mm. So, that's the omakase is really, I think, the essence of Japanese sushi in a way. Because, I mean, casual places, I mean, like when I grew up in my neighborhood places, of course, you can order by. By piece by piece, but Omakase is like, I trust you. That's the relationship with the chef. Yes, no, I, I, I agree. And 
I think that here in New York and Americans in general are starting to learn that chef's choice means he'll give you what's the best that came from the market or what flew in or what they got locally mm. and certain things are seasonal so chef always would promote chefs in general would promote whatever seasonal and mm. so but if people then you know at a sushi want of course they could always order a la carte extra pieces at most sushi mm. um if they're still hungry right <laughs> okay and uh, <laughs> so of course uh, when you talk about uh, uh, chef eiji ichimura's uh, sushi it's uh, aged up raw fish so and i yes i remember when i had a ichimura brushstroke i that was my first time to eat aged raw fish that was really memorable and it was very interesting so uh so first of all what is the benefit of aging fish so um what I believe, and of course, Mr. Ichimura could explain this uh, better than I can, but I think that um, uh, Chef Ichimura, what he tries to do, it's similar to wines that are um, ageable, mm. is he tries to find for every fish, um, and that could be the same fish, but each unique fish, what is the best time to serve it. Mm. So it's kind of like, what is the best vintage to drink the wine? how many days um, should I age this fish to extract the maximum umami mm. from that piece of fish? Right. Interesting. Right. So basically by aging fish, which is not a couple of days, but it could extend to a couple of weeks, right? And uh, yeah, so first of all, you can concentrate the flavor because it's slightly drying fish as well, like dry aged beef. Exactly. So like I could even give you an example um, that and now we we when we have hotate which is scallop mm. uh we really get exclusively from hokkaido um but for example like the domestic scallop that you find in the northeast in new england it's much more saturated mm. and i remember a time when he would age the hotate um for over a week and it would lose all its moisture mm. and it would concentrate and it would almost emulate kind of like a hokkaido mm. um hotate scallop but Chef, of course, also ages the Hokkaido scallop as well. Right. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, and actually, it's interesting <coughs> because uh, in Japan, it's like a bonito. We dry hotate, the scallops, and then, you know, use it for soup and things. So that really means that there's umami in it. Right? Exactly. So, and also, if you age it, you know, the protein is uh, broken down with the enzyme. And then it gets more umami. I mean, I think uh, the umami, I think inosenic acid in fish exactly. gets more kind of umami burst. And right. And also, you know, texture profile. It's, you know, I think traditionally people think of aging. They think, of course, of cured meats. Mm. Um, and obviously there's pickling and things like that. But similar with beef, right? People age beef. So, you know, the aging of fish, although historically... People have aged it using salt and vinegar for preservation. That's what sushi's origins are before refrigeration. Mm. Um, but now, you know, chef and other other people do it for flavor, not just for for you know necessity. Mm. Right. right. Yeah. So the actually um, during the Edo period, that was in nineteenth century. They naturally lived because, like you said before, refrigeration. They have fish and they have to age for at least a couple of days, naturally, with salt and vinegar. So, 
Right, but that, you know, the next question, of course, is um, how do you keep the fish not rotten and increase umami, right? Right. So, yeah, I think, so that's a little bit of a chef's secret, mm-hmm. um, which she, you know, uh, keeps to himself. But mm-hmm. um, what I would say is outside of um, using, you know, traditional techniques like salting and vinegaring, I know um, there's temperature manipulation mm-hmm. and keeping certain fish at different temperatures. Um, but, yeah, that's probably the most that I could say about that part of it. Mm, okay. Yeah. You have to remember the, the uh, Ichimura brushstroke. I asked Chef Eiji Ichimura that, how do you do it? And just take care of the fish. And that was his answer. I was like, uh, okay. Yeah, you have to really every day take care of the fish and listen to the fish. So that's the secret. Yeah, no, that's definitely true that like, even when you're aging, even like internal parts like liver or mm. like when he used to have shiokata, for example, which mm. is the fermented squid guts. Um, once you started getting past a few months, I mean, you constantly have to, you know, taste every day mm. to make sure. And there's that fine line between is it rotting <laughs> or is it, you know, getting better? And it's interesting because it's not always linear, like as far as flavor, mm. because sometimes, you know, you would think that the longer it goes, the quote-unquote funkier it is. Mm. But there are periods where, you know, I've had progressions of stuff that he's aged when I had it one month, two months, and then a year. Mm. Like even Arasumi, which is the Batarga, you know, the mullet row, um, it, it, it changes its profile. And mm. So it's really interesting to see the progression of how it tastes differently in different right. stages. So if you just keep experimenting, you may feel like eating, this is a the age one week two weeks and then you may want to change it depending on the day or the guest that's exactly right i mean he you know there are fish uh for example like aji which is horse mackerel Mm. which is typically consumed within the same day or the second day Mm. uh fresh like iwashi sardine but chef has served them both ways and the flavor profile is just different Mm. Um, so it really depends on the season and what he's trying to accomplish Mm. okay so, yeah, and I also heard that uh, because in Japan, it's the aged fish is becoming kind of more popular, too. So I looked up and then uh, one of the chefs says, you know, blood and water, that's the key that, that could lead to rotting. So you have to re- reduce uh, the amount by the salt. And if you put it to my salt, you have to remove the salt. So it's kind of a complicated process. Yes. Okay. And I think it's kind of a trial and error. And I I, I think that aging fish and pushing it to the limits when you go into weeks and what they're doing. Um, this is why I was I used the term for uh, Chef Ichimura as a fish astronaut because it's mm. like you're exploring, right? Mm. Every day, you're, it's like a new frontier. How far can you go with what you're trying to accomplish? But I think it's also just important to understand that um, what, what Chef uh, Ichimura-san ex- always explained to me is that he doesn't age fish just for the sake of aging it. Mm. He's aging it for flavor. So if he thinks it only needs three days, that's all he's going to do. Mm. Um, so the idea is, at the end of the day, is to get the best results right. from the netta. Mm. And also, fish is different every day from the market. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. There's no, there's no two fish just like human beings. We're all unique. Mm. So, And that's why... It's not just the type of the species of the fish, but the fish itself. Right. Sometimes he looks at the fish, he says, I'm not going to make sushi nigiri out of it. I'm going to use it for sumami, for example, mm. depending. Is it too salty or 
how it is, you know. So. Right. And the size of the fish, you never know. And the season, too. Exactly. Right. Well, those seasons nowadays are more complicated because we're getting fish out of season because mm. of the climate change. So. Ah, interesting. Right. So it's really, you have to be a craftsman to age fish. Yes. Right. It's a new frontier. <laughs> right. So uh, maybe you can give us some examples of uh, aged fish on the menu. What kind of aged fish? So um, as I said uh, earlier, like we, we'll age the hotate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen it aged 10 days to 14 days. Um, chef was actually aging a uh, king madai, mm. uh, which you don't really see aged more than a few days. I think there was... Um, one seating where he had aged it for over two weeks. Mm. Yes, and uh, um, actually, one of the one of the people who ate tried it told me the flavor profile was completely different mm. than having you know king madai that's kind of you know fresh. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah the, do you think uh, sweetness increases with aging? I th- I think it can. Yes. Mm. Um, because of the concentration of flavor, but I wouldn't use that as a general rule. Mm. Um, I don't think, for example, you know, there are chefs who age uni. Mm. I don't think necessarily um, you're getting a sweeter flavor. Right. Um, you know, and it's just, it's very hard to generalize uh, mm. now. And again, depending on the fish. Um, but, you know, like things like uni, things like that, when they're aged, may go better with sake, mm. right? Because they have that stronger flavor yes. profile. Right. So that's one of the other things, you know, when you age these things, they, they complement, you know, mm. the drinks very well. Right. I have a very strong memory about the Chef Ichimura's age, specifically age, I think. Um, there's different pairings, actually, he served because it offers completely different experience with sake, with the same sake, too. Oh, absolutely. So... Um, you know, if you have that stronger flavor, some people want like a bolder kind of sake. Mm. Um, and it's not just for sushi because you have snacks that are aged, you know, the sumami. Some of them even you can pair with a shochu. You could do a rice shochu on the rocks. And mm. Of course, you know, in the southern part of Japan, that's their right. kind that's of sake. Drink, right? right? That's their drink. So, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's so many things that you can do with food pairing and drink pairing and you know, make it regionalized or depending on what you're, you know, you're getting from the market. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, people, we have a, a natural wine list um, that we have uh, curated that was meant to pair with Chef Ichimura's mm. uh, fish. So I'm curious, do you serve um, unaged and aged fish side by side? And Yeah, um, yeah, chef will have his progression for the day mm. of, you know, what fish he's doing, like shiromi, hikarimono, mm. depending, you know, which is the white flesh and then the shiny, right. shiny fish. Um, and, yeah, not all fish, sometimes tuna's age, sometimes it's not. Right. Um, so there isn't, it's not formulaic. It's kind of just by feel, and that's what makes, you know, it a unique experience. And I just think chefs in general, mm. that that's what they do, like, if you're doing something every day that you're feeling it out you know if it becomes formulaic you're going to lose that edge Mm, right so in other words uh he picks which one should be aged which one should not be aged that's correct right 
Okay. Wow, it's such a very profound experience at the gym. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, let's take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll talk about uh, tips for wine and sake pairings with aged fish. So please stay with us. 100 Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. So welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Podcasting Live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Itan Elkon, who is the corner of Ichimura, a 10-seat omakase-only sushi restaurant uh, in New York City, which opened in January 2017. Uh, but before we start a conversation, I have a quick announcement. Uh, we are running a summer membership drive right now, and this show is only possible thanks to member donations. So please join us to support our unique food radio and podcast programs at Heritage Radio Network. You can sign up for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and click on the pounding heart on the Hope homepage. And you can also find membership gifts such as t-shirts and drink cruises. So thank you so much. So now, um, so where do you get your fish from? Mostly from Tsukiji or can be local? Yeah, so um, most of our fish comes from either Tsukiji or um, Kyushu, mm. the fish market right. in, in the southern part of Japan. Mm. Because the fish are very different. Yes, right? yes, for sure. And of course, um, there, there's fish that we get from Tsukiji that originates in the southern waters. Mm. But we, we do get fish from... Uh, both markets, mainly Skiji fish market. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as local fish, um, the only local fish that we use sometimes is mirogai, which is the giant clam, mm-hmm. the geoduck, um, and sometimes a wabi. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, everything else is coming from uh, the waters surrounding uh, Japan. Mm, great. Yeah, I really think the diversity of like uh, Japan Sea and uh, Pacific Ocean it's crazy how different they are. Yes. I, yeah, and I actually, when you visit uh, Japan and you visit local ports, some of them only stay in local ports. That's that's actually very true, and that's it's a great point because it's another disadvantage. Um, making sushi in New York, it's not easy. I mean, of course, we get all the fish flown in, but we don't have the luxury of having access to thousands of species of fish every day. Mm, right. In other words, it's worth visiting Japan, too, for our listeners, too. Right. right. <laughs> um, so, um, so, what kind of rice is suitable for aged fish? Do you have to adjust the recipes? For so, um, you know, chef experiments with different rice. And, of course, you know, uh, starting out the restaurant only in January, he was figuring out what he wants to do. Um, there probably are. Um, it's something that uh, he doesn't really discuss much mm. uh, other than like where he's getting rice. But, you know, he'll mix different rice like 
fresh uh, rice and aged rice, mm. um, which other sushiyas do as well. Um, and of course, blending the vinegars, which is so critical. Mm. You know, um, here in New York, we don't have the vinegar companies already blending right. for us, so we have to blend. Mm. We as the collective uh, community. Um, and figuring out, you know, what kind of vinegars to use, you know, red, you know, white vinegar and this mm. type of vinegar. So. Right. But I'd imagine you have to use more vinegar for each fish because of the stronger flavor. Right. So, yeah, typically um, you would have to use stronger to complement the strength of the fish. Um, but I... I I just, I don't like to always apply like that universal rule because right. there's always exceptions <laughs>、right. um, and chefs always find it. So,、um, yes, but I would say, generally speaking, that would be true.、Mm. Okay. And you mentioned earlier about、uh, your natural wines. So, do you have any specific rules? You know, the aged fish requires different kinds of sake or wine?、Uh, yeah. I mean, again, without generalizing,、um, you, you probably can use.、Um, Quote unquote, a little funkier kind of wines, maybe cloudy wines or、mm -hmm. skin contact. We have、um, one skin contact uh, uh, wine on the list、um, that we do that goes well with kind of like aging of the Otoro.、Mm. Um, some people will pair that together.、Um, but yeah, generally speaking,、um, aged fish, you can use kind of like bolder flavored wine.、Uh, uh, um, Uh, wine and sake as well.、Mm, okay. Do you ever pair、uh, red wine with the fish? Do I personally?、Mm -hmm. When I go out? Yeah. I, so I, I usually drink sake.、Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why is because I drink wine all the time, you know, when I'm out at other restaurants.、Mm. But so,、uh, wines go really well with,、um, with sushi.、Mm. And you even see in Japan. There are many, many uh, Japanese、mm. uh, who have, if the sushi has it available. But I know when they come here to the States a lot of times and they visit,、mm. they're drinking,、um, you know, wines.、Mm. Um, and also, right now, Japan is the largest consumer of natural wines in the world.、Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's a, it's a big, you know, growing community.、Mm. Um, of course, you know, Japanese love wine in general. But、um, yeah, so. I think, you know, that's obviously a whole other subject.、Uh, mm. it's, a, it's a very broad subject. And people, natural wine means different things to different people.、Right. But, you know, we try to have、uh, producers、um, on the list that、uh, are small, that don't do big production,、mm. and are true to natural ways and not manipulating the wine too much,、mm. if at all. Right. And、uh, well, I think natural white t e n d to be in a good way to some funkiness. So, really, that makes sense to. Right.、With. But we actually have some natural wines on our list that are very clean tasting.、Mm. So, and that's, like, that's always the kind of like the stereotype that if it's natural, it has to be funky,、mm -hmm. um, which obviously there are, but、um, our, our、uh, wine consultant curated the wine list. So, it's not you、mm. know, like a wine list that's just. Made for food that's not as you know, delicate as Japanese, as sushi is.、Mm, right. And I noticed that the natural wine market started to be more kind of diverse in terms of how funky. And it's getting milder. There's a whole range of not less, uh, not um, noticeably funky. So it's a really another growing market. Absolutely. And, right. Okay.、Um, so the 
what's how how do customers react to aged fish flavor? So, um, I mean, I think well, you know, the the interesting thing. So, I, I feel that um, uh, Chef Ichimura Sushi um, is very gentle. Mm. Um, you know, like even his his shari, although it changes, it's he doesn't always do the same, and it depends, you know, of the day. But um, his, I, I've actually taken people to eat his sushi who never ate sushi before, mm. and they they couldn't believe they thought it would be funkier tasting or strong taste. And you know, chef likes to really make the taste be very clean. Mm. Um, of course, when you get into sumami and other snacks, those are bolder flavors, but. When you're eating sushi, he wants everything clean, and everything is a prelude, like chawanmushi, mm. to get you ready for the sushi course. So yes, there obviously kohada is going to have a little bit of a stronger flavor, but even his kohada, for people who don't eat shiny fish or hikari mono, mm. I've had people who've come to the restaurant and they were actually able to eat the shiny fish because mm. it wasn't so overpowering, mm. not too much vinegar, you know, mm. and just making the flavor and the rice. Go very well together.、Mm. So based on his 30 year experience of making sushi for New Yorkers, yes, right. Okay.、Um, by the way, what is the biggest challenge for you in running a sushi restaurant in New、oh. York City? This is your first restaurant, right? It, yes, it is.、Um, yeah, I, w- I, I had never.、Um, I did some consulting,、um, both in wines、um, and in food, but I never owned、mm. a restaurant.、Um, I think you know just. Running the restaurant from day to day, and you know the food industry is very difficult,、um, and this is—it's a big challenge, you know, for upcoming chefs. And in New York, you see a trend、mm-hmm. of either these big, big food groups or something very like boutique style, like what we try to do, because there are a lot of impediments to、mm-hmm. opening a restaurant, running it, regulation, you know,、um, all the permits that you need to get. It's—it's、mm-hmm. it's a lot of work.、Um, And you know, just making sure you have the right personnel,、right. Um, you know, is very important because you know, wherever there's people, there's polity, there's politics.、Mm. Um, whether it's five people or it's fifty people, but as far as the business itself, I mean, you still like any business, you know, you need your products, your services, how you sell it, how you market it,、mm. you know, how you do your accounting, you know, and all those things, and your public relations. So、um, there's aspects of that that. Overlap to other businesses that I've been involved in, but yes, you know, and you're dealing with,、um, you know, a star chef、mm. and、um, people around it. The restaurant was unique because it has the chef's name on the door. Right. Okay. And speaking, you know, that you kind of like talking about the flexible adjustment to the demand, and、uh, well, I think in Japan, sushi restaurants are pretty expensive, and you can. You, you could easily spend a hundred dollar per person, and can be all over three hundred dollars at pre- prestigious sushi places like in Ginza.、Um, although you can find mom and pop neighborhood restaurants, but in here in New York City, I started to see more expensive sushi restaurants as well, and and I think Ichimura could be one of them.、Uh, so, how do you describe the value of you know those、um, sushi places as? Expensive as the ones in Japan, right? So the first thing is that being in New York, there are a lot of disadvantages as far as 
as I said earlier, making great sushi because you don't have a local market mm. um, that has the breadth of the Skiji fish market. Of course, we have the Fulton market in the Bronx, um, and you know there's local fish that people use. So, chef decides his decision is to bring most of the fish, over 95% from Japan. So, bringing wild fish, not farmed fish, using wild, mainly wild fish. Um, and the logistics of bringing it over mm. is expensive. The other thing is that you have to understand not all sushi is made equally, right? You have a master mm. making it or you have an apprentice. So, right. um, And when someone says omakase and they say, how much is it? Well, how many pieces are you getting? Mm. What else are you getting? What is the fish? So, you know, I try not to get like caught up in the marketing gimmick. You know, we thought long and hard of how we came up with the price and also... You have one chef making your sushi. That's the master, you know. So, you know, it's like if you go take classes in dancing or anything else, mm. you know, if you have someone who has tremendous experience, the rate is not going to be the same as someone else. Right. So you're paying for the experience of being served by a master chef. Um, and so that's the philosophy. And also, you know, a 10-seat counter with two turns. Mm. It's 20 people. Right. So, you know... Uh, from a business standpoint, um, you can have much greater margins doing makimono and California rolls right. and selling it. <laughs> so, so really understanding what value and what you're getting. And, you know, it's always in life you get what you pay for. Mm, right. And the other thing, I always think that it's sometimes it's hard to justify the cost of dining out because I could cook. Sometimes it could be better even for me. But when it comes to sushi... I can't. I, you know, I, of course, in my life, I tried a couple of times to make nigiri. It's a joke. And that's the value. I really think that I can justify the cost of. Right. So, um, and I completely agree. And as you know, and I know, it's kind of blasphemy to make sushi at home in Japan. I mean, <laughs> you can make sashimi, but to make sushi, it's a little uh, blasphemous. But um, you know, another thing that's different is that, you know, traditionally in Japan, like, sushi is a delicacy. You would go eat it once every couple of months, you right. know, traditionally, right? So now it's more accessible. It's commercialized. Even in Japan, you could go to the supermarkets. It's under the name sushi, you know. Right. It's a lo loosely called anything that has rice or it's wrapped <laughs> or some sort of vegetable or protein over rice. But... The truth is there's a there's a different markets there's a time and a place if so you want a more elevated experience but you can enjoy uh, good sushi using local fish from someone who's not necessarily a master of 30 years mm -hmm. it's just that it's harder to find that quality mm -hmm. as compared to right. when you're in Tokyo mm -hmm. because they have an abundance of it right. so you can go to those shops and still have really good sushi and not spend a lot of money mm -hmm. but again because it's rents and size of space and access to the market and you know biking to the market and so it's it's a different thing it's Doing business in New York is very expensive. Mm, right. And even in Tokyo, one time yeah. I went to a very expensive Ginza restaurant. I, I, was, I was just visiting Japan for the first time in a long time. So I spent about $300. I was mad. That didn't... Well, yeah, well, <laughs> Ginza is Ginza. You know, it's like Madison Avenue. It's like right. something a little different. But yes, of course. I mean, you know, you have uh, the gamut of, of, of price points. But you can, you can eat... In Tokyo, I've gone, I mean, to restaurants, uh, to sushi where 
for under $200 at lunchtime, I had an incredible meal. Not that it's so cheap, but mm-hmm. it's not, you know, the three $400 range. Right. Um, so it's different, obviously, in services included. Mm-hmm. And as it is in, in our restaurant, our services included, we try to adopt the European and Japanese model for right. that. And speaking of that, you know, I, when I visit my parents, we'd order, you know, the sushi for like four people and the delivery, everything costs like $40, but still decent. Right, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's different. But again, you know, it's also the experience of what you want to feel. You go for three hours, how long is it, you know. And so not all sushiyas are the same. And there's also styles. There's so mm. many different styles of sushi. Right. So, you know, depending and the personality of the chef and, you know, some are more, you know, quiet and other are more, you know, loud and, and, and talkative. So it, it's, it's a different experience. Right. And speaking of Chef Ichimurai's, Mild, and I'd imagine why fish his fish is good because he's so mild and take care of the fish so well. But and I heard he's currently a little sick. So yeah, chef's on a leave of absence right now, mm, definitely. Right. So hopefully he's gonna be better soon. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, but right now you have events and different things going on at the Chimura. Yes. Right. Yeah, we're doing. You know, we're doing pop-ups and. Uh, um, events like that mm. so yeah we have one coming up next thursday right okay so i'll check that out so uh that is uh sushi chimura nyc.com that's one word sushi chimura nyc.com okay so uh thank you for joining us today dan Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay. So, uh, listeners, um, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org. And Japaneeds is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher podcasts. And uh, our engineer is David Tatasure. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.